0: Welcome to you if you're watching on Living Word Live. Praise the Lord. Time to study God's word together. So let's join our hearts and look to the Lord. Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for the gathering of the people of God. Oh, Lord, to worship you together, to sense your presence, to encourage one another, and to hear your word. And may you have your way in your word this morning, in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, I pray you have your Bible. You should always bring your Bible to church. You don't have to bring it in a brown paper bag or hide it or anything like that. You can bring a great big fat one if you want, and we'll love, it, love you for it. But uh, you should bring your Bible to church. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 9, 42, 9. I'll wait just a second for you to get there. Isaiah 42, 9, it reads this way, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is at the end of the first of four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. They're called servant songs because the lord speaks to his very special servant the servant is chosen humble obedient and we un- have come to understand that these servant songs refer to the lord jesus christ 750 years before he came to this world praise god wow what a what a revelation To this man, Isaiah. Uh, There are other passages that refer in the book of Isaiah to one who is coming. He would have the seven spirits of God upon him. He would be born of a virgin. Uh, He would be called the king of kings and the prince of peace. And there there is a great deal in the book of Isaiah of the coming Messiah. And we believe that these servant songs refer to him. Incredibly, when Jesus came on the scene and he was actually in this world, in the flesh, he was not received by his own people. He was rejected. And in fact, the book of Isaiah actually uh, foretells even that even the rejection of the Messiah when he would come. It was foreseen. With the coming of Jesus, the plan of God was moving out of the Old Testament into the new covenant. Coming to an end with Jesus would be the importance of Jerusalem. Now, this is not to say that Jerusalem is still not very important in the city of God and doesn't have an important part in the plan of God and the future of God. On the other hand, Jesus said the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will not worship in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem, but the true worshipers shall worship in spirit and in truth. Am I telling you the truth? So it's kind of a, a bursting of the Jerusalem bubble. Jesus put to an end animal sacrifice, didn't he? That's the old covenant. Jesus brings us into the new covenant. Jesus brought to an end the exclusivity of the Jewish people as God's chosen. And the door was swung open to all mankind. Every tongue, every race, every nationality, every color, every... Amen? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says the veil was torn. But I want to tell you something, that when Jesus was alive and ministering and teaching and doing miracles, he was tearing the veil. He was tearing it right then and there. And he was not appreciated for tearing the veil. God, by his nature, tears veils. It's what he does. He has brought about, and he will bring about, the new. Let me give you an example. You can turn here with me. Follow me in the scriptures. Ezekiel 36, 26. There's one thing about uh, living word, church, saints. After a while... They're really good at flipping their Bibles and finding scriptures, finding Bible passages. We learn the Bible. Praise God. That's very good. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. This is not to be taken literally. This means that God gives us a tender spirit, a new sensitive spirit by which we can hear the voice of God within us. And Ezekiel is foretelling the the coming of the New Testament when he says this. I want to ask you a question: which is better, a heart of stone or a heart of flesh? It's better, isn't it? And Ezekiel prophesies, I will give you, I will replace the heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, new, we understand in our culture, and because we we haven't uh, checked out our brains, we know that new is not always better. But when the Lord does a new thing, it is very often much better. Praise God. We live in a consumer culture and uh, the merchants keep on inventing new things to sell to the market. They keep finding, searching for and finding new things for us to need and want and buy. It's kind of interesting. Before the merchants find these things, we didn't know we needed them. We didn't know we wanted them. So they're all the time moving. And now it is uh, thought by s- s- sociologists and anthropologists that the average American owns more countable items than anybody ever that lived in the entire history of the human race. More Countable things. You know all about it if you've ever had to move. Oh boy, I don't ever want to move again. That is a chore. Sellers, vendors keep the market moving. That's uh, how they keep on selling stuff. Well, the Lord does new things, too. But he's not selling. His new things are truly better things. They're part of a plan in the Lord. They're part of a journey in the Lord. Not so long ago, a couple months ago, I shared with you how the Bible is the book of journeys and how all of us have a journey, and we are going from maybe not always physical place to physical place in the Lord, but we are going from spiritual place and to uh, better and greater things in our lives in Christ. A brother just shared with me this morning how God helped him and enabled him to quit his almost lifelong addiction to cigarettes. That's fantastic. Praise God. It's part of his plan and his journey. But the Lord is also on a journey in the sense that he has a plan and he is pursuing it. Verse 27 says, we're in Ezekiel now still, thirty-six, twenty-seven says, and I will put my spirit within you. So I'm going to do two things. We learned about this in our Triune Man unit in our home fellowships. God does two things. He gives us a new spirit. That's our spirit, our human spirit. The spirit can be faulty. It can be sick. It can be faint. It can be injured, damaged. It can be hardened. It can even be rebellious. But God puts in us a new heart, a uh, uh, spirit of flesh, so it becomes, once again, what God intends for it to be. Useful, sensitive, able to hear God, able to believe easily. Praise God. But he also puts his spirit within us, so we now become, instead of a temple on a mountain in Jerusalem in the, in the uh, Near East, We become the temple, the meeting place between God and man is in our hearts now, praise God, in the new covenant. So he says, and I will put my spirit within you, verse 27, and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. A great power of God comes into the life of a Christian, enabling the Christian to walk in righteousness. This is, this is new for, for a, a person who has never received the spirit of God. And when God does new, God does better a spiritual connection with God inside us, power to live righteously. It's better than the external law of the Old Testament, of the days of Moses. It's better. It's better than the Old Covenant. It's better than legalism. It's better than human surveillance. It's better than human enforcement. Inner enforcement. God speaking to us. It's better. In talking about God doing the new and God's new being better, I want to say this morning that the best days for this church are not behind us. They're ahead of us. Praise God. The best days for Living Word Church are ahead of us. Because the best days for the church are not dependent on this individual or that individual. The best days for this church are dependent on the one who never dies, who never sleeps, who is always in control, who always has power, who always loves people, and that's God in heaven. Hallelujah. If I didn't lead you or try to lead you to the church's best days... What kind of leader and pastor would I be? What kind of man of God would I be? I would, I would fall far short in the department of faith. Where is our faith? Praise God. Now I can tell you that my own personal best days may be behind me. I'm 64 years old. They say, oh, no, brother, you're at your best. Well, thank you very much, but I ain't stupid. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to cry in my cereal, my morning cereal over it. It is what it is. God is in control, amen? but if they're my best days or my best days are behind me, I'm talking about the church this morning. The best days for the church are ahead. Hallelujah. The best days are ahead. The poor is the soul. Poor is the soul that thinks the best days of Living Word Church are behind us. Have faith. God brings about better days. Again and again and again. Hallelujah. Now, let me, you know, uh, without trying to kill my message this morning with the death of a thousand qualifications, you've heard me say that before, but I understand a a preacher has to uh, not just preach this morning's message like it is the one message ever in the whole wide world. We have to hang on to a number of thoughts and teachings in Christ, there are some things that are best preserved in the Lord. Just preserve. Get it and preserve it. Example, our first love. The Bible criticized the Ephesian church for leaving their first love. We should never leave our first love. Our first love of Jesus Christ, our first love of God, our first love of our fellow man, We should always remain on fire in our love for Jesus Christ and for our fellow man. Just like that amazing moment when we surrendered to Christ and the Holy Spirit came inside us and gave us new birth and we thought like we were seeing the world for the very first time. Like we were waking up and saying, Oh my goodness, look at all these souls around me. God loves them. I love them. Oh, how good it is to pray to my God and talk to him and feel his presence. This is all part of our first love. We should never leave our first love. We're not going to go on from our first love and improve that. We should also stay faithful to the gospel. If we move off the gospel, we are forgetting and forsaking what got us here. Galatians one eight. I'll just read it to you for the sake of time. It says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He He even includes himself in Galatians chapter 1, even if I bring you another gospel. He's saying, I could go bad, but don't you ever depart from the gospel. Brothers and sisters, there are some things that are best preserved tenaciously and included in those are our first love of Jesus Christ and our dedication to the message of the Bible, the gospel. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's go for a few moments to the book of Joel. Because I'd like to return to the subject of God doing the new. And especially in the context of a new year, 2023, and the fantastic opportunity that we have now of our Lord doing in our church, giving in our church the best years of our church, and then another best after that, too. Praise God. Joel, I think it's 2.18. I've written 3.18. 3.18. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. And we understand that this passage has uh, a very important application to the end days, but I'm going to give you this morning quite a few examples of how God moved along. God moved along in His plan, God moved along in His purpose. God Himself was on a journey to save the world, and there were stages and steps along the way that God took creating. again again and again, a new thing that brought forth a wonderful harvest. God did a new thing when he sent Jesus. He tore the veil of the Old Testament. He did another new thing when he sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. He did another new thing when he had people start churches There never was a church before. There never was anything quite like a church before. It was somewhat influenced by the existence in the first century of synagogues, but it didn't follow the pattern of the synagogue. It was a new thing, the church. A new thing that Jesus said he would build and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Amen? But then he did another new thing when he put it on the hearts of, of very dedicated and skillful men to write the Bible. Do you understand that on the day of Pentecost, there was no New Testament? There was no New Testament 10 years after the day of Pentecost. The churches got their start without a New Testament. And the New Testament was written approximately 45 or 50 AD, 10 or... It's starting 10 or 15 years after the Lord Jesus Christ left this world, ascended into heaven, up until probably the 90s AD, the New Testament was written. In the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100, 110, 120, there were churches that did not have an entire New Testament. Many of them had one or two, three or four books of the New Testament. And they survived on that. But in time, men of God wrote the whole New Testament and in time, that was copied and collected and the New Testament took shape. Praise God. God did a new thing. A new holy book for God's people. We see here in the uh, Book of Joel, that the work of God is likened unto the um, cycle of the seasons. The cycle of the seasons and the coming of the different rains. There, uh, through the summer, in the Bible lands, there's no rain. Zero. Zero rain in the Bible in the, in the summer months. So for about half of the year, zero rain. They're very dependent on the fall rains, And then, once again, on the spring rains. Because they know that they're not going to get anything over the summer. And in the book of Joel, the prophet Joel is inspired to make an analogy between the seasons and God's doing a new thing. He's looking forward to the new thing that God is going to do in the sending of his Spirit upon all flesh in the end days. Praise God something that we've been a recipient of. And I want to talk about the cycle of the better. The book of Joel also refers to a down season. And then about the coming of a better season. The book of Joel describes the work of the Lord. And it's also like the work of the Lord in your life, and it's going to be, like the work of the Lord in a church. There is the individual to think about, the group to think about, the church, Christianity to think about, the whole history of the church to think about. It gets, notice we're getting bigger and bigger, but I want to tell you there's also the Lord Himself to think about. He is, on a, he is on a journey Himself. He's on a plan. He's got a purpose. He's working toward a plan. And the Lord refers to this like seasons. There is, there is a season of dying. For instance, into your, for your own personal life. There's a season when you go through a time where you are required in your walk in God, and as you go forward in God, to die to yourself. Oh boy, you stick around the Lord long enough, you're gonna find that there are gonna be periods where you're gonna have to die to yourself. You're gonna have to put aside your own wishes, your own preferences, your own tastes, and you're gonna have to humbly accept obedience to the Lord. You're going to have to put aside your own desire to understand more. A lot of times we want to understand more. But the Lord is not in the business of, you know, clarifying everything for us at every minute and at every season and at every question that we come to. There are times when we just have to wait and believe and have faith and die to ourselves. Part of the cycle of the seasons includes dying, waiting, maybe even hurting, maybe even having pain, pressing through it until, praise God, a new season comes, a new and definitely better season comes when there is blossoming. How many seasons do we go through in a lifetime, personally? How many seasons does a church go through? How many seasons has world history gone through? And how many seasons has even the work of God gone through? Death, then blossoming. Then an outpouring and blossoming. Dormancy. You know, some plants... Uh, at the, at the, after the harvest, they die and you plow them into the ground and they, the remains of the dead plants becomes fertilizer in the ground and helps you know, the next season's produce. Other plants like uh, vines and uh, olive trees and uh, fruit trees, all of these things common in the Bible lands, they don't die in the, what we might call the off season. They go into dormancy. They're alive, but they're quiet. They're alive, but they're not producing. It's very important for them. I think they're getting fueled up for the coming blossoms and fruitful season. So there is a season of dying where some, some of the plants are plowed into the ground, and then there's a season of dormancy for some. And brothers and sisters, we also experience that humbling quiet time that time of death death to self or that time of dormancy a time of quiet in our life where we don't feel and seem as productive as we as we would like to be that is a time to humble yourself before god because god is the god of the new and he's the god of the better and he's the god of the journey He is not intending for us to stay in the same place forever. He wants us to move forward. He moves forward. Hallelujah. When we're in that period of death to self as individuals, when we're in that period of dormancy as individuals, when we're in the period of dormancy even as a congregation it's time to humble ourselves before God and remember what got us there and remember the God who sustains and bring forth brings forth life and blossom and fruit amen it's the time when you get serious with the Lord and you start thinking about the things to fix We've got some fixing to do. You remember once again what matters the most. In his time and in his seasons, the Lord will pour forth the life-giving rain. Peter, in Acts chapter 2 refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit and uses to explain the gift of the Holy Spirit, the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered." Excuse me, if I get kind of passionate when I'm reading these verses, I just praise God for being a recipient of these promises. I don't know if I was... I'm amazed that Peter, on the day of Acts, being able to pull this up. Wow, what a student of the Word of God. But more than a student of the Word of God, what... And what an example of the Spirit of God being with him and talking to him and bringing to remembrance the Scriptures! Praise God. So Peter used this passage on the day of Pentecost. You can read it in Acts chapter two. It's uh, I think it begins in verse seventeen. Peter quotes this passage from the book of Joel, and this is speaking of how the Lord pours forth His blessing. To create a new life. And as a result of what the Lord is doing, we have cause to rejoice. Joel 2.23 says, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, And the latter rain in the first month, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I want to say to the church of the living word that the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. The best days of the church are ahead. Hallelujah! Because the Spirit of God is with us. Let me show you in the Word of God some examples of how the Lord runs through this cycle of the new and better in Christ. Matthew 26, 28. And we could find this in in, uh, several of the Gospels. These words and this teaching of Jesus. In Matthew 26, 28, he says... For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you that I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We often refer to this passage in the word of God when we have communion. But Jesus is pointing out that he is instituting a new way. Like the book of Hebrews says, he inaugurated a new way through the veil that is by his blood. It's a new way that the blood of a human being, not any human being, but God who became flesh among us would pay pay the price for our sins. This was new, brand new with Jesus. It was new and it was better. Best development ever in history. But there was more to come. There was even more to come new and better beyond that. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. For example, I'm running through some examples for you. Uh, We'll return to the day of Pentecost as an example in a moment. What Joel referred, referred to... Mark 1.27 says, And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. The spiritual power revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ and delegated to his followers was never before seen in the world. It was new and it was better. John 13.34 It says a new commandment. I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. We could say, well, didn't the Old Testament command the people to love one another? There's a, there's a verse or two that mentioned loving one another, loving your neighbor. Uh, what is Jesus talking about? He, that being new. What does he mean new? What he's saying is, if you fulfill the first two commandments to love God with all your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself, you are released from the law. That's what made it new. Like the Apostle Paul said, of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. He goes on, there are nine qualities that he mentions to the fruit of the Spirit. And then he wraps up the list of the fruit of the Spirit against such there is no law. The Word says, if you love one another as Jesus Christ loved, you fulfill the law. This was the new thing that Jesus brought to the world. And in fact, as the Bible promised, from the person and the lifetime of Jesus, just over 30 years on this earth, what he left as his teaching, what he left as his followers, What he sent as the Holy Spirit has now gone out like a ripple effect all over the world and touched every nation, every religion, every government so that the whole world is concerned about human justice. Doing what is right for their neighbor. Doing what is right for their community. I know they're not all doing it. And we don't always do it here in our country either. But the standard by which we know we're not doing it was given to us by Jesus Christ, the most influential human being that ever lived on the face of this planet. Hallelujah. Bless his name. It was a new commandment. Acts seventeen nineteen. This is a preaching of the Apostle Paul before any of the New Testament was written yet. And he's preaching in Athens, Greece, on the Areopagus at, at a school of philosophers that was there in Athens, Greece. Acts 17, 19, it says, And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what is this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. And... If you read the context here, you can see exactly what they're referring to as a new doctrine. It is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave in a transformed flesh. A flesh that had been made incorruptible, immortal, everlasting, unkillable, a new flesh. And they go, what are you talking about? We have never heard of such a thing. Amen. They never heard of such a thing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a new thing in the world. And I will tell you, when God did that new thing, he, God did a better thing. God keeps moving, saints. God keeps on moving. God is on a journey. And God brings about seasons. And there will be seasons of death. And there will be seasons of dormancy and there will be seasons of quiet. But then God will send forth the rain, the former rain, the latter rain, and the desert even will blossom and bloom and bring forth fruit. Praise God. (laughs) Ephesians 4.24 As says in Ephesians 4.24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave has now passed on to his believers who now rise up in their behavior, who rise up in their energy with new energy, with new strength, with new vision for their lives, with freedom from those things that addicted us and bound us, from sin, a new man rises up in Christ. We put on the new man. This is, this is what God does again and again and again in His journey to the salvation of the world. The resurrection power has now passed onto thousands of and thousands of thousands, and millions of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The passing of the old and the coming of the new are a very strong theme in the entire book of Hebrews. I want to ask you something. The nation that came forth from Egypt and bondage in Egypt, Do you remember that in the book of Exodus the coming forth of that nation, was it not a better manifestation of God's power than the twelve grandsons of Abraham? Was the conquering of the promised land that began at Jericho and the walls falling at Jericho It actually began with the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River on dry ground, praise God, the Lord... Made the, dry, the Jordan River dry up so they could pass across it. Was not conquering the promised land better, new and better than eating manna in the wilderness for 40 years? And Was it not better for them to have their own vineyard to keep and dress and make prosper? Was it not better for them to have their own wheat field to plant and harvest and grind and make bread? Was it not better to have their own cities with their gates and their walls for protection than it was to be out in the wilderness? Provided for God by God every step of the way. God provided for them every step of the way. It wasn't that God wasn't with them. But what was better? Walking in the wilderness and eating manna every day and wondering where your water was going to come from? Or was it better in the promised land when you had your own field, your own vineyard, your own grove, your own city, your own house, your own well? God did a new thing when he brought them to the promised land. Was not David's life of faith better than Saul's life of fear and manipulation? But then a time came of dormancy, quiet, a quiet season. They even lost the Word of God until King Josiah had servants go into the the temple and find the Bible, find the Word of God. They came out and they said, look what we found. We found the Bible. We found the Word of God to King Josiah. And he said, I want you to read it to me. Call for somebody who could read it. He had a high priest in front of him. He had another high official in front of him. They had to call some little lady. And said, can she read it to me? They couldn't read it. He couldn't read it. But they read read the Word of God and King Josiah tore his uh, robes and, and he put... Ashes on his head and he wept before God. Oh God, we have fallen so short. You see what happens? The time of dormancy is an opportunity to humble yourself before God. And to start asking God, what's wrong? And to start returning to the the first things. First things first. Our first love. The doctrine of Christ. Return to it. And God said, King Josiah, because you have reacted this way to the word, I will not destroy Jerusalem in your days. And they had a a Passover like, uh, like never before had in Jerusalem. Jesus came in the fullness of time to save the world. John 16, 7. The Gospel of John 16, 7. Are you following me? When God does the new, God does the better. Oh, Lord. John sixteen seven. it said, Nevertheless, these are the words of Jesus. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. He says, it is expedient that I go away so I could send the Holy Spirit to you. Do you know what expedient means? Better. It's better. Now, that's hard. That's a a hard one to take, isn't it? That Jesus leaving is better? How could Jesus leaving ever be better? Well, because Jesus was a man And he could only be in one place at one time. But we see on the day of Pentecost that when the Holy Spirit came and a sound was heard as of a rushing mighty wind that tongues of flame appeared over every single believer. So every single believer becomes a meeting place with God. That is better than one marvelous, fantastic Superman in our midst. It is better that every believer have the Holy Spirit hit for himself. God did a new thing. I am sure that the disciples would have stopped it from happening if they could because of their short-sightedness. But God didn't stop it and Jesus didn't stop it. What would be the best days ahead for our church? What would you, what would you describe the church sensing God's Spirit in a powerful way right here during our meetings, dancing, jumping, crying, spinning, shouting in a Holy Ghost meeting. I love that. Hallelujah. Bring it on. I was there when the church made the Phoenix building shake, where the floor literally waved under the weight of everybody jumping on up and down. I was there when David Gentile rolled up and down the aisles of the church. I was there. I saw it. He, he rolled up against my foot. I was there when we sang King of Kings and Lord of Lords for 45 minutes. It was, uh, it was like 1977, 76, something like that. I was there, but I wasn't only there. I was one of the most enthusiastic participants in this song. If you if you don't believe me, ask Mark Lauren, ask Ricky Ludovico, ask Mike Ivina. Brother Brian didn't worship the Lord with all of his heart when he was seventeen and eighteen and nineteen. Hallelujah. Would that be the best days of the church to go back to that? We marched around the building uh, at Phoenix when we sang, and God's got an army marching through the land. Were those the ultimate? Were those the best? I say, bring it on. For years I have heard talk that implies and even states explicitly that this church's best years are behind it. I feel the best years are calling to us. I can hear them calling. I, I can hear them calling, come on! Come on to the best years of the church! Come on! And... To me, it's the Lord calling. It's the Lord calling us to Himself. And I want to tell you, there is something better than singing one song that has lyrics that could fit on three lines of a piece of paper for 45 minutes. There's something better than that. There's something better than spinning and dancing. I want to do all that stuff. Bring it on. I, I, I want to see us doing all that stuff. But there's something better than David Gentile rolling up and down the aisles. And that is David Gentile hanging on to the gospel until he breathes his last. That's better. There's something better than all of that. And that is not the ultimate. And what is better than that is making disciples that stick, stick it out until they breathe their last. Making disciples is better. You say, didn't we ever make disciples? We absolutely did. Make many, many disciples. But our church has been in a period of dormancy when it comes to making disciples. And may we blossom. May we have the rain come down. The former rain and the latter rain. And the wheat will fill the... the, the uh, barrels and the, and the wine will overflow, and the God will pour out His blessing, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. Praise God. It's better to make disciples. I will tell you that something even better than the day of Pentecost came. Yes, the Holy Spirit is with us. Yes, we have our personal tongue of fire. But something better came. The New Testament came. I want to tell you, the coming of the New Testament was even better than the coming of the day of Pentecost. I want to tell you why. We might have succeeded, like Abraham, without any book. We might have. We might have succeeded like John and Peter did without any New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. We might have. But we have something better. We have the New Testament to show us the way, to teach us how to live, to teach us how to be God's people in the world, to teach us what to believe so that we don't get lost in vain imaginations, to keep us together and moving and I will tell you that there is something better yet coming than the New Testament, and that is Jesus Christ in the clouds. He's coming. God will do a new thing. He will come to rule this world together with His people. That is even better. And then I want to tell you something even better than that is going to come. Because the Lord will take the uh, Satan the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and he will cast them into the lake of fire which burns forever and ever. That's even better. And then I want to tell you, something even better than that is going to come. And that is a new heavens and a new earth. And something even better than that is going to come because the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. That's what God does. God does the better and the better and the better. That's what God does. The better and the better. There may be times of dormancy. There may be times of death. In between, the better. But God is on a journey. God has got a plan. God has a purpose. And He is going to do the better and the better. And I want to see our God come down in a mighty way and make 2023 a good year in God. And I want to see God make our future as a church the best years of Living Word Church. And I will be here or I will be uh, not here. Whatever it takes to see that our church have its best years. And, And when I'm gone, I pray that God bring you a leader that will bring you into even better days. The best days of Living Word Church. Again and again and again. Because that's what God does. That's what God does. God does the new. And the new is the better. God does the better again and again and again. Hallelujah. Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we look to you. We need you. Oh, come with the former rain and the latter rain. By your Spirit, O oh Lord, bring forth the best, O oh God. Bring forth good fruit, O oh Lord. We pray that we could disciple many, O oh God, and show them the way of obedience all the way until they breathe their last. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the chosen, your servant, your faithful servant. Oh, God, we want to follow him in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord.